I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God ended His work which He had made, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it He had rested from all His work which God created and made. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth, and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted, and it became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that is, it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good, there is Bedellium and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon, the same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hedekel, that is, it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of the rib, his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would take the text this morning that you would give, uh, take the, the picture, the snapshot uh, that you've given us of marriage uh, before the fall in the Garden of Eden, and that you would burn it into our hearts, and that you would uh, produce uh, a spirit-filled marriages and a greater honor and sense of the sacredness of marriage uh, amongst our church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You might be wondering, if you're not married, why, why I need to listen. Uh, you might be wondering uh, if you are married and have been and have been successful for many years, why you need to uh, uh, hear a sermon series on marriage. And I want to tell you that the, the, the Bible is all about a marriage. It is all about a marriage. It begins with a marriage here in Genesis 2, and it ends with a marriage with the, the bridegroom meeting his bride at the end of the book in Revelation. And the Scriptures tell us in Ephesians 5 that marriage is a parable, it is a picture of the ultimate reality of the Gospel in Christ. The ultimate marriage between the Son of God and a bride who He redeemed. 
The scriptures here begin with a world made for a young couple. And it ends with a new world that surpasses the first for an eternal home for a son and his bride. What I'd like to do this morning is look quickly at Genesis chapter 1 at a few things, where the story begins, and then uh, break apart our passage in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 1, that's where the story begins, and all of, our, all of our stories represented here in this room because of all the different souls and lives in this room, they all converge in Eden. They all converge in Genesis. Uh, the stories that you and I all have of, of wonder and glory and flaws and shame all find their roots in this book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. And Genesis 1 is a, is, a, is a display of God's grandeur. God speaks and light happens. Color appears. Shapes form. Life comes. Gas, liquids, and solids uh, uh, come together. Uh, beauty sparkles. But in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it is incomplete. And Genesis 1, verse 26 says... And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Here where the story begins, um, uh, up till day six, uh, before man was created, there was, there was so much that was created, but God said it's not enough. It's, it's incomplete here. It's incomplete. And he creates man and he says, let us create man in our own image. All the other uh, entities of creation, He spoke and they appear. And here He takes the dust of the ground and He forms man. And He says some things about man that are key and describes man as unique. And here are the three things. From Genesis 1, 26-28, here are three things we learn about what it was like and what God's intended purpose was for man. First of all, number one, mankind was created to be a unique representative and ruler over creation. Man was created to be a unique representative ruler over creation. And verse 26, you see this. God says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion. Let them have dominion. Man is in the image of God, which means he's to stand in God's place, not over God, but under God, and he has to have dominion. He is to rule this beautiful creation that God has made. In other words, he is to be a proper representative of God and God's glory in all this creation. Uh, he is to stand for God and advance his purposes in this new creation. That's what it means to be created in God's image and to have dominion over all these things. Now, when, when the animals are described in Genesis chapter 1, they're described as animals who have been made after their kinds. After their kinds. You can see that in verse 21, verse 24 through 25. But when man is created, he is said to be made in the image of God. In other words, he is said to be made in the image of a king. Represent a king. 
And this tells us there, there is a dignity to man. There, man, is, man is royalty. Uh, man finds his identity in God first, not creation. He says, let us make man in our image. That is man's unique identity is being made in God's image. And that is where he is to find his identity. Of course, we know that's where things went wrong in Genesis chapter 3. But man does not find his identity in creation. Man finds his identity in the Creator and worship. And man's job is to bring the glorious rule of the King into the world. In a world at this point that was perfect. So that's the first point about Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Man is a unique representative ruler over creation under God. You need to notice something else in verse 27. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Notice this, male and female created he them. Man is created in these modes of male and female. That's it. Male and female. The animal's genders and, 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 uh, and sex is assumed, but God celebrates humanity's differences. Male and female. There's nothing said in the text of Genesis 1 about male and female animals. That's just assumed. But here, those beings created in the image of God. God says you are male and female. Designated very clearly. He celebrates that. And this tells us, ladies and gentlemen, that male and female are not social constructs. They are not uh, uh, things that society has, has birthed. This is the design of God at the very beginning of creation. Male and female. Jesus said in Matthew 19, verse 4, that did you not know that at the beginning God made them male and female? Some people say, well, uh, Jesus never says anything about homosexuality. The problem with that thinking is it's this. That's like saying Jesus never says that a triangle um, uh, doesn't have three sides. No, Jesus already defined what marriage was and what God's design was with going back to Genesis and saying God's design is male and female. Male and female. And the fact that he doesn't say that a triangle has four sides doesn't mean that he hasn't said that a triangle has three sides. I don't know if you follow me there with that logic. But the point is, is this. He has already described the standard. If he has already described the standard, he does not need to describe every single perversion of that standard. In other words, a man is male and female. The third thing you need to notice in Genesis 1, 26-28 is man is created under blessing for a purpose. He's created under blessing for a purpose. Verse 28, And God blessed them. Now God blessed the cattle. He, uh, uh, he blessed the other creatures. But mankind is directly blessed by God. And He is blessed for a purpose. Notice, God blessed them and God said unto them, out of this blessing... Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion. So, man is blessed to be fruitful and to rule over creation. The animals were blessed, but here God speaks directly and specifically and personally to male and female to develop a society that uh, um, 
brings forth image bearers who will bear the rule of God over creation under his smile, under the smile of God, the blessing of God. And so three things are very evident in Genesis 1, 26-28. Man is a unique representative ruler over creation. Man is made in the mode of male and female. And man is created under blessing for a purpose. There is a royal dignity to man. Man is to be a steward of God the King. They are to display the King's glory. And then you get to chapter 2 and you kind of scratch your head and say, okay, so... What's all this about? Well, think about it this way. In chapter 1, the heavens and the earth come together in chapter 1. They complement each other. Uh, In chapter 2, a young couple, man and woman, come together and complement each other. And so that's what chapter 2 is about. A little uh, uh, a, 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 a parenthesis here as to what God's design for mankind was and how they came to be more specifically and in more detail here. So Genesis chapter 1 is more like a, 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 a broad um, uh, declaration of what God did. Genesis 2 hones in a little bit more and sharpens it. So Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to look in verse 15 through 17 to begin. <clears throat> and if Genesis chapter 1 is where the story begins, Genesis chapter 2 is where the story now zooms in. And where the story focuses now. Because this is key. This is key. Genesis 2 verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Man is placed over creation, but not as a God. Man is under God, made in the image of God. Man's task is to develop the garden and to keep it, which the word means to guard it. To guard it. Alright? Which kind of begs in our mind, why would man need to guard something in a perfect world, right? Well, apparently there was evil outside, right? And we see what happens in Genesis chapter 3 here. But man is to develop the garden and he is to guard it and he is to trust God and his word in this. He is to trust God. So those are the three things man was supposed to do. Develop it, guard it, and trust God. This is an unharmed paradise. But notice, notice that this paradise is not good. It is not good. Look in verse 18. We would think paradise in the Garden of Eden. What more could you want? And in verse 18, the scripture says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. Now, everywhere else in Genesis chapter 1, God has over and over said, and God did this, and behold, it was good, right? And now, after he creates man, he says, this is not good. There's something missing here. And it's not like God was trying to figure out, okay, what was missing. This was part of his plan here. But he wants us as readers to know that man by himself was not good. And because man has created the image of a triune God who reflects relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit for all eternity, because he's made in the image of God, he needs, he's a relational being. And it was not enough, listen to this, it was not enough for man simply to have a relationship with God, a spirit. God also thought it necessary that mankind needed a complement, a helper. 
And so, in this statement, it was not good, there is a negative in creation. Because God's love overflows as a trinity, and man in his image needs to overflow as well. God's love. So look what happens in verses 18 through 25. Verse 19 says, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Remember, Adam has dominion. And if you have dominion, if you own something, you can name it, right? You got your pet, you gave your pet a name because that pet belongs to you. Alright, so you, got, you called it Fifi because you thought that would accurately re, re, reflect uh, your pet um, and whatever a Fifi does. And so you named your pet Fifi. Well, Adam here, his, because he is over creation, he names every living creature here. But, but what is underlying the story here is you've got to think what Adam might be thinking as he's doing this. Here's Mr. Skunk and Mrs. Skunk. Maybe they didn't stink before the fall, I don't know. Here's, uh, here's, you know, here is the uh, uh, Mr. Cow, Mrs. Cow, okay? Mr. Bull and Mrs. Cow, okay? Here's, uh, here's, uh, 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 you know, your, your, your boy dog and your, and your girl dog, etc. here. And he's naming these creatures, and whatever he names them is what they will be named. But one thing that is missing is that there is a relational aspect and reflection of him. Uh... In this perfect world, there can have no missing parts. So in verse 18, God makes a helper who is fit for Him. Who is appropriate for Him. And what is it? Well, the first thing we learn here is that the woman is man's helper. The woman is man's helper. Now some of us think here the word helper and we think, okay, that must mean a... a a, a task that is uh, is below. Uh, a task that means that there is um, um, uh, someone is more valuable. If you're just a, if you're if you're if you're doing something and you have someone who's the helper here, uh, there's not as much glory in, uh, in the helper as there is the one who's who's doing the job. But that's not true. The fact that woman is God is man's helper does not mean she is inferior because God Himself is called our helper. Psalm 54.4 The idea here is rather that this woman is a complement. She is a support. She strengthens his role. She is a contributor. She is like him, yet at the same time she is unlike him. Um, Chapter 2 and verse 23, he says, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. She is just like me, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Yet she's very different, so we're going to call her a woman. Very different. So the first thing you see is that woman is man's helper. There is interplay here from the very beginning. The key piece to uh, God's intended design and for society is for a lead and a helper. Paul will say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. Paul puts it this way. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. In other words, there 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 are roles that are played here. And they are not inferior roles. They are not inferior roles. Jesus Christ is not inferior to His Father. He has different roles that He has played. That, uh, that, 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 that make it all work. 
And so, the, the truth of, of what this lesson in, in Genesis chapter 2 tells us here is that this is not an oppressive mechanism in history. Remember, this is before sin. This is how it was designed to be. This is not an oppressive mechanism in Scripture. This is not some, uh, something that some arrogant bullies made up here. But this is what God has designed for a beautiful path of human flourishing. This is back to the Master's pattern. And, a, and this is a dance together of husband and wife. As husband leads and wife assists. And this, is, this arrives from deep within the heart of God for His design. And so this tells us something. That man and woman, woman are not interchangeable. We are not interchangeable. We have very different uh, 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 abilities. We have very different origins in Eden here. There is a dignity. There is a worth. There is a sacrifice. There is a love. There is a pursuing the glory of God together that we have in common here, but we have different roles. There is equal worth. Notice that God says in verse 18, I will make him and help me for him. And the idea there is and help me fit for him. Fit for him. In other words, this being that God will form out of Adam's rib bears the image of God equally. Equally. She is not his property. She bears the image of God equally as he does. But they are only one in creation as they correspond to God. And both need each other. And both benefit from each other. They have different abilities. They even have different DNA. Every single cell in your body, women, is different than the cell of a, of a, of a, of a man and vice versa. They both need each other and they benefit from each other. They have different, different abilities, but they have tremendous potential together. A synergy here that the sum of the parts is greater than if they were separated. They both have specialties. Now notice in the story that Eve was not created simultaneously with Adam, was she? Adam was observing the animals and identifying them. And God uses that in His grace and in His wisdom. God uses that process of Adam naming the animals to awaken Adam to what his need was that God would provide. A helpmeet. He wakens Adam to his need. That's what verses 18 through 20. Adam, Adam seems to notice. He seems to, to feel a neediness uh, for the greatest gift that had not yet been given. And creation was not completed until the woman was created. And then it was completed, wasn't it? Look at verse 21 and 22. Here's how it happened. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Adam was made from dust, chapter 2, verse 17, from the dirt of the ground. But God forms woman by multiplying Adam. He takes one of his ribs and he multiplies it, just like the, 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 uh, the five loaves and two fishes. And he brings Adam's bride to him in verse 23. And here we have, in verse 23, the very first recorded words of humanity. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
There's his statement as he sees her. Apparently he knew how it happened. God said, son, you're going you're to go to sleep here. And, and while you're sleeping, this is what's going to happen, apparently. And, and God reveals this to Adam. And when Adam wakes up, there she is. There she is. This was one who was equal in essence to him. And he is drawn to her. He says in verse, 24, uh, verse, verse 23, this is now bone of my bones. Literally it means, at last! Here she is, at last! She's the counterpart with him. And he rejoices, he names her out of intimacy, uh, woman, because she was taken out of my bones. And they are now both image bearers. They are distinct, male and female. But yet they are united, image bearers of God together. Formed out of, out, of, out of sameness, out of Adam, to produce difference for the purpose of oneness. And if you understand that little sentence that I said there, you'll understand the purpose of marriage. Eve was formed out of the sameness to Adam, his own rib, to produce a different being for the purpose of oneness, one flesh. Think about it. In Genesis 1, there was heaven and earth. There is sea and dry land. There is male and female. There have been pairs working together to complement each other in God's design. But look what happens in verse 24, and this is the key, this is the key verse of the whole message here. Verse 24. Moses writes this. Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, adds this commentary for readers who are now living since the fall has happened and are looking back on this. And he says, the basis of Genesis 2, what happens in Genesis 2, 15-25, the basis of it, here's what you need to know. Here is, the, here is the foundation for your marriages. And it's Genesis chapter 2 and verse 20, 24. Moses comments here. Therefore, on the basis that you saw in this story of, of, of God creating Eve, because Adam, uh, was, it was not good for him to be alone, and he needed to help me. On the basis of this, Moses says, this is the conclusion you need to draw. This is God's design. This is His purpose. This is what you need to take. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Moses is saying, on the basis of this story, this is the application you need to take. This is the design of marriage. And here it is. Here you have, in verse 24, the definition of marriage for humanity for all time. In this one sentence. The Bible records, by the way, other perversions of marriage, like um, uh, polygamy, etc., right? It records those things. It never endorses them. It, it, it records other perversions of marriage. The mankind is twisted, but it only holds up one. Only holds up one as the standard, and it is this verse right here. And so now the scene above uh, pauses here, and Moses who writes, said, Genesis is saying that through all of us outside Eden now, in our situation outside of Eden, watching, here is the precedent in verse 24. That's why he says, therefore, therefore, so this is very important, this is key. Therefore what? While a man shall leave his father and his mother. In other words, think about it. You have all kinds of things in Scripture about obedience to your fathers and mothers, right? 
have all kinds of things about honoring your father and mother and the design for that. But God says this marriage relationship, even your parental authority, must surrender to this new bond of marriage. And it is not mommy and daddy that you go to first. It is your spouse you go to first. Uh, It is not mom who you first call when you're having a hard day at work. It is your spouse. It is the new bond, the new relationship that supersedes any other relationship, even one that you have um, uh, experienced as one of the closest relationships that you've known, a child of your parents. Even parental authority surrenders to this new bond. It is the couple's primary relationship, not mom and dad. And notice here that the scripture says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. In other words, it is the man who makes the sacrifices to make this happen. It is the man's job to make sure that he is so committed to his spouse, to his wife, that even his closest bond of being his father's son does not compare to this new bond. In other words, it is the man who is responsible to, to initiate making the sacrifices to make this happen to cleave unto his wife. Which, by the way, if that's going on, it would probably be a lot easier, wives, to help that man, wouldn't it? Than somebody who's just doing their own thing. Well, what else? Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. That word cleave there is a word that you would use today if you were uh, welding something. You're bringing two pieces of metal together. You're welding them together. He will weld to his, to his wife. There is, in other words, a deep level. It's like um, two pieces of wood that are glued together now. If you try to rip those pieces of wood glue together, they're going to leave pieces of each other on, the, on, each, other, on each piece, aren't they? There's a deep level. He takes the initiative, the man, to move to her, to bond to her, to be devoted to her as a sacrificial leader. Steadfast, loyal, wholehearted. No other woman in his life ever will come to this degree here. And what's the result? And they shall be one flesh. One flesh. And that is what marriage is. One flesh. One fully shared life in the years that you have on this earth. Marriage is not forever. Your marriage will end when one of you dies. That's why we say, till death do us part, right? Uh, uh, In heaven there is no marriage. But marriage is designed for on this earth you have one fully shared life and the years that you have together. You come together completely as long as you both shall live. And so two people become one unified us for one purpose, and it is to reflect the glory of God as His designated representatives of who He is. There is one story now. Two have one story. There is one reputation. There is one experience of suffering together. There is one budget. (laughs) There's not one toothbrush, thankfully, but... There is one family that comes out of this, right? And Hebrews tells us there is one bed. One bed. Marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled. 
The whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. In other words, think about your closest friend outside of your spouse. Your closest friend, there are still barriers that are there, even among your closest friendships. But when you become married, the barriers are to be removed. And life is reoriented to God's compass into a comprehensive oneness. There is total access, total openness, total allegiance for life. When, when Moses says they shall be one flesh, that is what he's saying. When you wrap it all up, here's what it looks like. Marriage is a grace gift from God, the Creator Himself. And therefore, He gets to define it. This is marriage in Eden. We know what's going to happen in chapter 3. But this is marriage in Eden. And verse 25 says, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Brokenness and shame will start up again, will start up in chapter 3. But this is man and his wife, husband and wife, face to face, complete acceptance and belonging, no shame and an embrace of welcome. And Genesis 2 tells us that marriage is one of the crowning glories of creation. It is sacred, it is safe. And it is for the flourishing of the world. Now, in our marriages that are represented here in the world, there are still some echoes of marriage in Eden, aren't there? Because of God's common grace. And God's intent and His purpose in marriage can still be seen in practice. But obviously, in culture and society, what we see and even experience does not fully seem to match Genesis chapter 2, does it? And so the story continues next week in Genesis chapter 3 with after marriage in Eden, marriage and exile. Because the world now, as we look at it, is broken. And that's why we need a great Savior who restores and redeems marriages. And it will not be perfect. Nobody ever marries a perfect person. And the person they married sure didn't marry a perfect person, right? But God's design for marriage is still upheld. And His intent for marriage is still upheld. And if Hebrews chapter 13 tells us that marriage is sacred, Genesis 2 tells us why it is. So whether you're single or whether you're married here this morning or a kid who might one day be married, here's what you need to think. Marriage is something that God does not look lightly upon. But God upholds it and God loves it. We spoke last week about singleness in the glory of God and how God has, has designed a plan for those who are not married. But please understand this, those of you who are married, that is something that God upholds as near and dear to His heart and it arrives deep within His heart as a part of His grace.